Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Very blessed tonight to have a guest speaker all the way from Manila in the Philippines. And that's Pastor Michael Pederis. It's so good with his beautiful wife, Pia. They're here today. Um, so Pastor Michael pastors the Victory Katipunan congregation in Manila, Philippines, as well as serving in the Every Nation Philippines executive team. Um, he currently serves on the Every Nation global team as the regional director of our churches in Central Af- Asia, planting churches and fulfilling our mission as Every Nation. It was really fun to discover that he loved Bruce Lee. He is a fan of Bruce Lee who we know is really big in South Africa. And he says that he loves black coffee. And if you, if you work through us with our, uh, our um, value series this last time, you know coffee is a value of every nation. You can't be a member or a leader if you don't like coffee. I'd like to welcome uh, Pastor Michael to come up and please open your hearts as he talks to us about faith tonight. Thank you so much, Pastor Greg. Good evening to all of you. Um, Truly uh, a deep, deep honor for my wife and, and uh, myself to be with all of you tonight. And I just have to say, we're convinced, my wife and I, that the language of worship in heaven must be African. Yeah. I mean, no question. You know, the Bible says every language will be represented in heaven. There will be Malaysian, there will be Filipino. But please, don't be surprised if find me on your side of the room most of the time. It's just, honestly, I almost don't need to understand what you're saying because I can feel what you're saying. That's how I always feel about African worship. And honestly, I never take it lightly whenever I visit your nation, um, especially when I'm given the chance to share the Word of God because I always feel I'm, um, I'm setting foot in a very certain and specific historical context. Um, and I have to say, honestly, from a distance, every, ever since I first started coming here about more than 10 years ago, I've been, uh, I, I'm no expert, but I've been studying and observing and praying for all of you, really, um, and your history. And, and I have an appreciation for the complexity and the difficulty and the challenges that you are all uh, walking through. But if you would allow me and permit me to say, I believe you have such a beautiful opportunity before you. It was given to the previous generation to win freedom for you, but it's been given to your generation to live that freedom out. Let's give God a big hand for that. And by the way, that's the work of God. And I think it's one thing to win freedom. It's a whole nother thing to walk it out. Uh, we were at the Apartheid Museum just the other day, and the first thing you see are the seven pillars which they built into the Constitution. Democracy, equality, reconciliation, diversity, responsibility, respect, and freedom. And, and again, uh, amazing job getting that into the Constitution. But we all know 29 years later, it's a whole other thing again to walk it out. And, and that's been given to you. And that's why I honestly feel honored always um, to step into your world. And particularly um, the leadership of Pastor Roger Pierce and Pastor Simon Lerofolo to lead Every Nation South Africa and Every Nation Johannesburg in this period of your history. Again, 
we share a similar parallel history with the Philippines. So I, I have a bit of understanding of what, of what you've gone through. So again, it's one thing to win freedom. It's a whole nother thing to live it out. And that's the work of God. And by the way, your context today is not very different from the context of the first century church. A lot of the subtext of the epistles that we read in the New Testament is the racial tension between the Jew and the Gentile. Our text today will be Ephesians. There was a racial tension underneath the book of Ephesians. It's the same thing in the book of Romans. Um, it was one thing for the Council of Jerusalem to declare that the Gentiles are now part of the people of God. It was a whole nother thing for Jew and Gentile to walk it out. And particularly in the book of Romans, there were Jewish churches and they were, there were Gentile churches but very few churches where Jew and Gentile worship together. And I believe that's where God wants to bring you. And that's the work of God. And sorry, this is not my message, but I cannot help but get into it. Um, I was listening to a podcast. Let me just say first, I want to honor again Pastor Simon and Roger for the incredible job. I cannot imagine a more difficult job in the world today than what they are doing, manifesting the Word of God in this society, in this city, in this culture, in this nation right now. And again, it's been a joy to uh, meet Pastor Greg er earlier today. Um, wow, I've been in ministry, what, 30 plus years, almost 40 years. I have never in my life met a pastor who plays the harp. <laughs> and so I had a fascinating, I mean, I wish we had more. I would love to pick your brain, honestly. Why the harp? I mean, you kind, we kind of got into it uh, 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 earlier in the morning, but there must be something there in his wiring. I mean, where else in the world would you have a conference and you decide, let's sing Be Thou My Vision, and then, oh, by the way, we have a pastor who plays the harp. And that could never, ever happen anywhere else. Oh, by the way, I play the ukulele, but... The ukulele and the harp, it's not in the same category, you know, so, I mean, so all of my respects and um, really my deep curiosity, but let me say this one last thing. I was listening to a podcast um, three months ago or so from a non-Christian historian. Okay, remember, this is a non-Christian historian speaking about Christianity, and this is what he said. Christianity in the first century, the Bible world, created a social revolution. And what he meant was, prior to Christianity, the world lived in terms of tribes and ethnicities. In other words, your station in life was dependent on whether you were Roman, you were Greek, you were Jew, you were Gentile. Your, your ethnicity dictated your station in life. And then this secular historian said, but when you went to the early church, nowhere else in the world and never before in history, would you find a Roman centurion worshiping beside a former Pharisee who came to church with a former slave who met that morning a former prostitute who is standing in front of uh, some Greek fisherman or from somewhere else? He said, nowhere in the world. And for the first time in human history, the world saw a diverse mix of cultures worshiping God together. And I believe, again, that's where God wants to bring you, and that's where He will bring you. And that's why, again, my hat's off to the entire leadership of Every Nation Southern Africa. 
But again, particularly Pastor Roger and Pastor Simon. All right. Um, thank you. Okay, we're going to talk about the substance of faith this evening. And basically, that kind of confronts us with a question, what gives our faith substance? What differentiates our faith from, I don't know if you use the phrase here, toxic positivity? Or pie-in-the-sky uh, mentality? Or mere wishful thinking? What is our assurance that every Sunday when we stand up to confess that confession you make every time you give, what is your assurance that all of that will come to pass? You know, when um, the Korean car industry first tried to enter the global car market, I don't know here, but in the Philippines and in the U.S., there was a strong bias against Korean cars, you know, Hyundai and Kia. And the impression was they're good for three years. After that, they're going to break down. Really, that was what they faced, especially when they entered the U.S. market. You know, the U.S. market was dominated by the American brands, and you had the Japanese brands, Toyota. So it was, it was virtually impenetrable. And so they entered the U.S. car market in the 90s with this huge advertising campaign, but they shocked the car industry in the U.S. in 1998 when Hyundai issued a 10-year warranty on their cars. Think about that. I don't know, in South Africa, in Manila, all we, at best, all we get is three years on a brand new car. So can you imagine, okay, I, I, I was biased against Korean cars, but if I were to buy a new car and I buy a Hyundai, I get a 10-year warranty, 10 years of worry-free, maintenance-free driving? Hyundai substantiated their advertising claims with a 10-year warranty. It was their assurance that they would stand behind their product. And that's how the Korean car industry broke into the U.S. industry. You know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, the substance of our hope is faith. But let me ask you, what is the substance of our faith? And that's what we'll talk about over the next 30 minutes. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read verses 13 and 14. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Holy Spirit, we submit to you this evening. We thank you for your presence that's with us tonight. Bless the preaching and the teaching of your word. Renew our minds, mold our hearts, transform our lives into the image of Christ. And if we could ask, make one request, could we, Lord, involve you in a small rugby game tonight and help the Springboks demolish the French? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. okay. <laughs> That's not faith. That's 
It's a done deal. <laughs> okay. All right. God made certain that we can know today that His word and promises in our lives are true. How? He gave us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Now, a warranty and a guarantee are one and the same thing. Basically, a warranty is a legal document uh, that, that issues out of a guarantee. But either way, it is the assurance that a promise will be kept. The Holy Spirit in our lives is the assurance that God's promises will be kept. The Holy Spirit is the substance of our faith. The assurance His promises will be kept because not only is the Holy Spirit the promised Holy Spirit, meaning the fulfillment of a past promise, but He is also the guarantee of our inheritance until we receive it. The assurance of a future promise. He is both the fulfilled and the assurance of a future promise. So two ways the Holy Spirit substantiates our faith. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of a past promise. Verse 13 says, we were sealed with a promised, past tense, Holy Spirit. And so Paul wrote that at the very moment we responded to the gospel, God sealed us with a promised Holy Spirit. And the word seal here is the same as, you know, when you watch movies about the medieval periods and, you know, kings would uh, uh, imprint a wax seal on certain parchments. That same seal is how we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, the king's wax seal is the authentication of the, 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 the authenticity, basically, um, of the document and the ownership, evidence of ownership. And so the Holy Spirit in our lives is our evidence that we are God's own. Amen. That we truly, despite our feelings, despite our objections, despite our lack of understanding, our assurance that we truly have been adopted yeah. into the family of God that we have been brought in as part of God's covenant people. Now, we have to understand this in itself is an incredible fulfillment of a promise. See, the presence of God was one of the controlling narratives of the entire Old Testament. When man fell into sin, our relationship with God was broken, but one of the things we lost was the abiding presence of God. Remember before the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed the abiding presence of God when God was everywhere, walked with them in the garden. But when sin fell, we lost that abiding presence. And so God chose a certain people, Israel, through whom he would redeem the rest of the world. What distinguished Israel, what substantiated Israel from the rest of the nations? Only one thing, the presence of God. God was with them, whether it was in the burning bush as he spoke to Moses, whether it was on Mount Sinai as he entered into a covenant with them, whether it was through a pillar of cloud by day or fire by night as he led them through the wilderness, whether it was through the tabernacle or whether it was through the temple. It was the presence of God with Israel 
that substantiated Israel from the rest of the nations of the world. Which was why the greatest tragedy of the nation of Israel was not because of their disobedience. You know, they wanted to be like other nations. And so they bowed down before idols. And so the greatest tragedy wasn't when they were captivated, captured. It wasn't when they were exiled. It wasn't when Jerusalem was destroyed. It was when in Ezekiel 10, the glory of the Lord departed from Israel. And when the presence of God left the nation of Israel, they became what they had always wanted, just like any other nation. Which is why the messianic hopes of Israel in the Old Testament focused or was centered on the restoration of the presence of God among his people. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel prophesied that one day, one day, the presence of God would one day dwell among his people. That was what they held on to. But there was something different about the prophecy. Because Joel said, when the Holy Spirit returns, it will be poured out on all people. Now you have to understand, in the Old Testament, the Spirit fell on specific individuals to fulfill certain tasks. Whether it was Gideon, whether it was Samson, uh, whether it was even King Saul, it was only Samson even. It was very temporal and it was for a specific task. But when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2 during Pentecost, it did not fall on just the apostles. It fell on everyone who responded to the gospel. Which is why Paul, at least, at least to Paul, when you understand Paul's theology on the Holy Spirit, above all else, the Holy Spirit marked the return of the lost presence of God. This means God now dwells in the heart of every believer. And now He has written the law into our hearts, empowering us to walk in His ways. Empowering us to walk in forgiveness. Empowering us to walk in unity. Empowering us to worship together with other peoples of other ethnicities, races, and languages. This is probably why I believe probably one of the most, if not the most important statement in the Bible on the church is found in Ephesians 2.22. It's not on the slide anymore. Which says that when we come together as a church, individually we bear the presence of God. But when we come together as a church, the Bible says we are built in Ephesians 2. Together. Together into a dwelling place for God. When we come together as a church in Rosebank, you become the temple of God where He has placed you. Every nation Rosebank is the temple of God in Rosebank. Every nation Kuala Lumpur is the temple of God in Kuala Lumpur. Every nation Manila is the temple of God in Manila. Which is why in Metro Manila, in the local churches, we, there is a diagnostic question we ask ourselves, which I would like to apply to you. If we are the temple of God in the communities where God has placed us, if every nation Rosebank were to disappear tomorrow, 
Would Rosebank even notice? Have you walked to a degree and level of unity and love and forgiveness and reconciliation that if your church were to disappear tomorrow, Rosebank would be shocked and they would know? Or would, they, or, or would life go on as usual? It's a question we force ourselves to answer. Again, the Holy Spirit in us is the fulfillment of God's promise to return and dwell once again among His people. Believe it or not, when we physically gather, we bring the presence of God with us. Which, by the way, on a side of Pastor Simon didn't share anymore this evening, but in the morning, he shared the testimony of how when we had our conference at the Cape Town Convention Center, the Cape Town Convention Center staff noticed how did they say it? They became nicer? Is that what you said? They were much more jovial. They became jovial just by seeing us, right? The environment, the environment had changed at the convention simply by the people of God coming together to worship together. By the way, there were 71 nations represented at our global conference. So number one, he is the promised presence of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our future inheritance. Verses 13 and 14, again, the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is both the fulfillment of a promise and the guarantee of a promise. He is at once the one promise, the presence of God, and the one in whom God's promises will be fulfilled. Now, when the Bible says guarantee here, the meaning of the word in the Greek is a down payment, a first installment. Do you use the term earnest money in South Africa? Earnest, okay. So in, in Manila, we use the term earnest money, meaning if I were to buy a second-hand car, I don't bring $10,000 in my pocket in cash, right? So I'll have, I don't know, maybe... $500 in my pocket. And I go see the car, and I love the car. And so I give uh, the seller earnest money or a guarantee or a first installment. Basically, a deposit. Yeah. Which is basically a promise and a guarantee. Listen, I'm coming back later in the afternoon or tomorrow with the rest of the money. This car is mine. Okay. That's different from buying online and clicking dibs, is it? Do you say that? Dibs? I don't do that, or mine, right? That's just words. It's just saliva. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, I could say dibs and disappear and, you know, leave the guy hanging. But it's different when you give a deposit or a first installment or earnest money. You know, Ephesians 1 lists our spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You all know this. We were chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined for adoption, redeemed through His blood, forgiven of our sins, enriched by His grace. God revealed to us the mystery of His grace. We obtained a rich and glorious inheritance. We will bring praise to His glory. We are recipients of the immeasurable greatness of His power. Well, guess what? All those are merely first installments of our future inheritance. In eternity, God will open further the treasures of heaven to all believers. We will live in total and absolute righteousness, peace, 
and joy. We will walk in love, in unconditional acceptance of everyone. We will be free. Think about this. Free forever from death, sickness, disease, weakness, pain, troubles, tears, injustice, conflict, suffering, inequality. We talked about the temple. Revelation 21 says, there will be no temple in heaven. You know why? Because God himself will be with us. We will enjoy once again the abiding presence of God. We will get to walk the streets of gold with Jesus right beside us. You know, Revelation further says, there will be no sun during the day, no moon at night. Why? Because the glory of God will serve as the light of heaven here on earth. That is our future inheritance. And the Holy Spirit, again, is the guarantee of that future. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are guaranteed this future inheritance. How? Well, the evidences of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, His fruits, His gifts, His power, they are not merely a code of conduct. It's not simply ethical living. It's not simply principles to live by. It does, it's not just talents that we happen to uh, be born with or a skill set. They are evidences of our future inheritance already at work today in our lives. There is, again, going back to Pastor Greg's ability to play the harp. I mean, that is not merely uh, a musical ability. That is the gift of God and the reflection of His future inheritance at work today in our lives to bless all of us. They are the presence of eternity breaking into our world today. The Holy Spirit is the power of the age to come made available to us in our lives right now. Again, His gifts, His power, and His fruits in our lives today are manifestations of the age to come. Which is why the church is a reflection of the kingdom of God to the world today. The world is able to glimpse eternity by looking at the church, by watching how we live, by watching how we relate to one another, by walking in supernatural unity and forgiveness and love with one another. In about April this year, one of our staff members over in the Philippines, his name is Don Luna, was diagnosed with stage 3 rectal cancer. The cancer had spread all over his body. And as soon as he was diagnosed, he kind of, um, how do I say it? He didn't take off work. He was, he's still employed, but obviously we understood he couldn't go to the office anymore. He would come once a week, maybe once every two weeks. So I never saw him since April. So I knew he had contracted cancer. But I just always missed him. You know, I travel, etc. So we just never saw each other. Until two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was just walking by his office. I saw him. This is a few days before I left for, for Cape Town. I saw him. So I walked, hey, Don, I heard you had cancer. Can I pray for you? And so I prayed for him. I laid hands on him. I prayed for him. God bless you. And then I kind of left. And then that was in the morning. About two hours later, we had our weekly chapel. And I was leading our chapel uh, that Wednesday. And I saw him. Uh, attending chapel. So I walk over to him during worship. Hey, Don, I don't want to put you on the spot, but would you be okay if we prayed for you during chapel? 
He said, please, please. Okay, good, good. So I went back up again, went through chapel. And then at the time of prayer, I asked everyone to pray for Don. We all laid hands on him. Last week, when we were on safari, I got the message, Don is cancer-free. All the cancer markers literally are gone. He's literally normal. The doctors don't know what to do of it. They basically, well, you can go home now and go about your life, basically. It's a miracle. Guess what that is? That is the future breaking into the present today. It is a future body and inheritance of dawn where he will be disease-free, sickness-free, death-free, working itself into our present life today. So this eternal perspective goes directly against the spirit of the world today. Today's culture conditions us to think, live, and expect in terms of right here, okay, right now. Only this world and only this life matters. It, it, it molds us into squeezing every bit of enjoyment and pleasure and profit out of this life and every minute. You know, um, if, you, if you've noticed any, if you do any TV shopping, right, it, it, it'll lure you to make a purchase today only. We add 10% if you buy today. But wait, there's more. If you buy in the next five minutes, only in the next five minutes, we're going to throw in a free towel, I don't know, a free whatever, something. So it, 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 it's molding us into the right here, right now, this very second, this very moment. Um, there's a book called TechWise Family written by Andy Crouch where he basically calls the way technology has overridden our lives in terms of the phrase easy everywhere. That's a promise of technology. It'll make everything easy and it will make everything accessible everywhere. Except that it cuts against the formation process in terms of our soul, in terms of our character, in terms of our relationships. Our relationships, our character, our soul, that takes time. It takes cultivating. It takes waiting. It takes intentionality. You know, waiting on the Lord is part of our journey with God. We cannot demand God to operate in our lives right here, right now. Make it easy. Make it available everywhere. God doesn't work that way. Um, one of our, uh, the guys who, one of the pastors who joined us from Malaysia uh, over at Safari, you know, uh, the challenge in Safari, right, is to see the big five. And you never know if you will. And so he came up with this smart idea. You know what? If I ever come up with my own safari, I'll just use a drone to fly around the park, you know, uh, so that and then signal everyone, hey, you know, the leopard. How many of you, I thought, wow, that's a smart idea. But how many of you, if you did that, you would destroy everything a safari stands for? You know, the joy of the hunt, you know, the guessing, the reading the poop, looking at the tracks. Does that poop point this way or that way, you know? And really, during our safari, our, was it Jika, our driver, or was it the tracker? We were going to look for a cheetah. We had not seen a leopard. No, we saw a leopard. We were looking for a cheetah, but we passed through this watering hole. And so I, either the tracker or the driver thought, you know what? It's very hot today. Most likely, it will lure animals to the watering hole. So we're on our way to the cheetah, but let me just drive to this watering hole and just see what happens. So we drive into the watering hole, and I kid you not, within a minute or two, it wasn't very long, 
we see the outline of a leopard in the bushes. You could literally see the leopard walking slowly through the bush. And we're there in the jeep, what, 50 meters away? Close. Close, very close, just watching this leopard. Where is he going to go? What's he going to do? What's he gonna, how will he react when he sees us? He walks out of the bushes, crosses in front of our jeep, taking his good time, you know, no rush, not right here, right now. It's just taking his old sweet time, goes into the pond, drinks, I don't know, how many liters of water, slurping, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then lazily walks out, goes to the upper path. I mean, we're sitting there watching the, this for the next 20, 25 minutes. And how many of you know the beauty was in the joy of wondering, are we even going to see a leopard? And then just making a best guess, waiting and seeing. That's how life should be. You see, God operates and works in terms of redemptive history. Remember this. He is bringing all of history towards its redemptive conclusion. When God looks at our lives, He looks at our lives from the perspective of the Alpha and the Omega. Not, to be honest with you, not our present immediate context. God is not obligated. He is not pressured. In fact, I'm convinced He resists our right here, right now perspective. He is sovereignly orchestrating our lives in the context of God's eternal perspective. And so we need to recapture an eternal perspective on life. You see, the fall broke the perfect condition of creation and resulted in the fallen world. We can show this next PowerPoint. There you go. And it is this fallenness and brokenness of the world that we live in that explains much of the problems that we live in today. I mean, think about it. For all of the technological, cultural, and, and educational advancement, our problems are very primitive. Wars, corruption, injustice, greed, inequality, racism, same problems that bedeviled the world 8,000 years ago. We just, never, we just could never outgrow them. And in such a world, much of our hope rests on the coming age. We can't wait for Jesus to come again so that all problems will dissolve and disappear. But redemptive history does not play out that neatly. We don't suffer and struggle and strive in a fallen world, waiting for Jesus to return so that once He does, we wake up tomorrow in heaven and all problems are gone. It, it just doesn't work out that way. Instead, through the Holy Spirit, eternity broke into the present. It created what you call the in-between times. We no longer live enslaved to the fallen world, but we are not yet in the coming age. We are in the in-between times. Pentecost in Acts 2 was the beginning of the last days. You notice how the Bible keeps talking about we're in the last days, it's the last days. And yet 2,000 years later, we're still here. It's still the last days, you know. In other words, the last days was not a one-time instantaneous event. It was inaugurated in Acts 2, but it continues to unfold today. We live in the last days, the in-between times where eternity is present 
in this fallen world through us, through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The coming age has already been set in motion. The phrase for this in theology is, which I love, the already, but not yet. Okay? We're already, we're already living the eternal life, but, but not, 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 not yet. Okay, not quite. It's already the end times, it's already the coming age, it's already the eternal life, but not yet in its fullness, it's not yet completely fulfilled. It is the beginning of the end, but it has only begun. We still await the final event, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Faith, therefore, is how we reconcile the tension of life in the already, but not yet. We glimpse, we see, we experience the coming age, but never in its fullness. We have the power of the Holy Spirit while living in a fallen and broken world. Which is why Jesus said, the kingdom has come. And yet he spoke of it as a future event at the same time. Therefore, faith is living in the present with the power of eternity. Every believer through the Holy Spirit is able to bring eternity into our present world. Every believer is empowered to live the life of the future in the present age. This happens by viewing life from an eternal perspective. It's refusing to live by the right here, right now mentality. And yet, we exercise by faith God's future promises today. God's future promises of healing. God's future promises of life. God's future promises of provision. God's future promises of reconciliation. God's future promises of peace. God's future promises of love we live and bring into the world today. We live by the Spirit by exercising and demonstrating the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit in a fallen and broken world. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment on our future lives. The certain evidence of our future inheritance and final glory. Life in the Spirit is the foretaste of the life to come and the future orientation of our present lives. This was the spirit of the early church. It was this mentality that conditioned how they lived, how they loved, you know, how they thought, how they obeyed, and how they worshipped. In closing, let me close with this, Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. All of God's promises are true. The mistake is to think all of those promises are for this life, this earthly life. This life, this earthly life that we have is to bring Him glory. That's why Jesus said, lay your treasures in heaven. Not in this world, 
lay it in eternity. In living our lives today, we are to always think in terms of eternity. We are strangers. We are aliens. We do not live for this life. We are in this world, but we are not of it. This is not our promised land. We are exiles. We are merely passing through. Our desire is not for the riches of this world, but for our eternal inheritance, which Peter said is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, guarded by angels. It's there. It's waiting for you. We look forward to a city, not this city, but we look forward to a heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. Faith then is having complete and total confidence in the Word of God and His promises because we have the Holy Spirit, which is the fulfillment of the prophetic hope in the Old Testament and our guarantee that all of God's promises will come to pass in our lives for His glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just pray for all of you. If you could do that, um, just bow your head and close your eyes and then I'll turn it back over to Pastor Greg. But Lord, we come to you this evening. Lord, we thank you that while we may be of South African, Malaysian, or Filipino citizenship, our true citizenship, according to your word, is in heaven. Amen. We're strangers. We declare that. We're aliens. We're exiles. Because we look forward not to this world, but to our future inheritance in heaven. Lord, help us live out the Holy Spirit's power today in our lives. Again, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the communities around us, the people around us watching us. Because we could very well be the only glimpse of heaven they have in this world. May we learn to exercise your gifts, your fruits, and your power so that we can bring them to your saving knowledge. And Lord, above all else, may every nation Rosebank be known as a dwelling place of God in Johannesburg for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.